Well, welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. My name is Zach Zinder, and I am joined today in a few minutes by my co-host, Pastor Chris Johnson. And we desire that this podcast would challenge you to become a greater follower of Jesus wherever you are. We believe that when all of us together unleash a fuller, greater, and truer expression of who Jesus really is, like the world's forever going to change. And so on this podcast, you are going to be challenged, you are going to be inspired, and I promise you, you'll have a lot of laughs along the way with us. Episode three today features one of my very good friends, Rebecca Gregory. Today, uh, you will laugh, you will cry, and you will be inspired and challenged. Rebecca Gregory was just three feet away from the bombs that went off in Boston at the marathon on April 15th, 2013. And so you're going to hear her incredible, powerful story of fighting for her own life, some things that she's lost along the way, but amazingly how this moment has changed the trajectory of her life forever. Plus, like, what would you say to the person that tried to take your life? Rebecca was the last person in the courtroom to speak to the living bomber before he went away to prison. So looking this killer in his eyes, what did she say? We're going to find that out. But first, hey, if you like this podcast, love this podcast, if you're challenged, inspired, or believe that it can be helpful to anyone out there, will you help us get the word out? Like your ratings and reviews mean the world to us. And just for a little while longer, that rating and review could turn into a free pair of Red Beats Studio 3 wireless headphones. And so subscribe, rate, review, and go to redletterpodcast.com to enter into this giveaway. We're going to be drawing that on June 9th. And when you help review and rate, uh, it helps us to to create even more of these podcasts in the future. And speaking of ratings and reviews, hang on to the very end of the show today. I'm going to do something special for my friend Rebecca that she doesn't know about, and I hope you join in with me at the end. And so uh, wait for that later in the show. Church leaders, before we get to our episode, one question for you. Could you build your own 747? The answer is no. Like maybe some of you could do better than others. Like for me, I'm about the world's worst handyman that there is. And so making an airplane like a 747, like that's crazy for me. Each 747 is made up of over 6 million parts. If you had 6 million parts, like that's wild to organize. But but like we couldn't assemble it, fly it, and land it. It takes experts who have done it thousands of times before. And so if in your church, are you thinking about a capital campaign? Are you thinking about trying to raise your general fund giving? Do you have a vision that you need to fund? This can be sometimes like building a 747, right? You misplace one piece and you can crash and burn. Our friends at The Giving Church, they help churches not crash and burn, but thrive and prosper. And they've worked with nearly a thousand churches and helped raise billions of dollars for ministry dreams. And they've seen these things come to fruition. And so you can visit their website at thegivingchurch.com slash red. There you can download a free PDF on how to grow your church giving today, because it's possible today to grow that. And so again, that's thegivingchurch.com red. And we are so grateful for these friends of ours. Without further ado, Ladies and gentlemen, it is episode three of the Red Letter Disciple. Let's do this. Wow, today we have an incredible episode. Uh, Legitimately, I'm talking to one of the most inspirational people that I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her name is Rebecca, and I'm going to have Rebecca tell her story. It's so powerful. Uh, But she's an amazing disciple of Jesus and doing incredible work that we're going to talk about 
um, in this particular show. I had the incredible opportunity to get to know Rebecca when I lived in Florida and her family and baptized her son, Noah, which I'll always remember on Easter of, was it 2019? I think it was. And uh, just an incredible, incredible family. So welcome, Rebecca, to the Red Letter to Type podcast. Yeah, Rebecca. It's an honor to be here with you guys. We both have our jackets on. Chris usually wears his. This is, I think, the first time I'm wearing mine. So. I told him that we've got to class this up. Uh, Rebecca's on. She's got a great story. Uh, wear something formal today. Yeah. How are you doing today, Rebecca? You're in Florida. Yes. I, it's hot here, so that's that's always a plus. But I a jacket, too. I didn't get the memo, so I apologize. <laughs> I did not wear my sequins today. Hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't have sequins until Chris provided this uh, yeah. off of Amazon. I have so many sequin but... jackets. It's ridiculous. You can find anything on Amazon. <laughs> right. There you go. So, all right, Rebecca, uh, I absolutely love your story. And I believe that God is working through you in incredible ways. And so I'd love for you to just share with us, uh, with the audience, uh, something that happened in your life in April of 2013. Yeah. Well, let me preface it by saying exactly what you said. God is doing so many amazing things in our lives. And it's the only reason that I'm still here and able to share my story. But on April 15th of 2013, I had gone to the Boston Marathon and it was my 26th because I was not running that race. As a matter of fact, I'm on the sidelines and I'm eating chocolate covered pretzels, wondering why anyone would ever run 26.2 miles. Amen. I'm with you. Amen. Yes. Let's have chocolate yes. as we encourage these people that are crazy. That's right. It just wasn't my jam. You know, I appreciated that yeah. other people did, but. I brought my five-year-old son along to watch a friend of ours that had qualified. And it was an amazing experience because we didn't know that Patriots Day was a holiday. Like yeah. I said, I had never been to Boston before. People take off work. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. And so we had started our day at the 17-mile marker, and we were tracking our runner with the app on our phones. And one of our people in our group of about nine said, hey, let's get closer to the finish line so that we can actually see our runner cross. And of course, you know, when you go to watch a marathon, what ends up happening that people don't tell you is that you end up running that same marathon with <laughs> trying to keep up. So all of a sudden, I'm trying to make my way through the most enormous crowd of people I've ever seen. And for some reason, I've brought my five-year-old along with me for this adventure. And we get down to the finish line. We were right there. I mean, in the middle of the action, I could see the sweat pouring off people as they crossed and accomplished one of the most amazing things they've ever done. And it was, it was a really incredible experience, but you know, there's so many runners that you can watch. There's only so many that you can watch before a five-year-old starts to get really restless and bored. And so I remember Noah just kind of tugging on my clothes, mom, mom, when are we going to leave? I'm so bored. How many runners? And if I'm being honest, like I was a little over it at that point too, sure. but I have no idea, you know, in, in that kind of situation, you don't know when you're going to go. And our runner hadn't crossed the finish. Yeah. So I started kind of racking my brain and I came up with the solution 
of sitting my five-year-old son down on my feet. And I told him it was so that he could play in the rocks like he was a scientist. And of course, there were no rocks. <laughs> creative as a parent at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But luckily, he thought that was pretty cool to do. So Noah took his place on my feet with his back up against my shins. And that's exactly where he was when a bomb in a backpack went off less than three feet behind us. Three feet. Yeah. And that's, of course, I remember seeing the news that day of hearing of the Boston bombing and, you know, just this tragic uh, event, this terrorist stuff going on. And like, I was in it. Like, I would remember watching the news and the manhunt and like all of it. And it just really gripped me. And and so in your story, Rebecca, when that bomb went off just a few feet from you, like, what's next? What happened? It was such a whirlwind and I often describe it as kind of a movie scene that you're watching play out and it's it's just this shock that comes over your body and typically with shock you either get very very alert as to what's going on or you don't remember anything and unfortunately I was alert the whole time. Mm. So I remember kind of panning. And the only thing I could move was my head. I looked down and my left leg was on fire. I was in a pool of my own blood. There were nails and ball bearings and BBs and everything these brothers packed into these pressure cooker bombs. And I really thought it was going to be the moment that I took my last breath. I thought I would die on that street. And I wanted to know where my son was, because all I could think about was that he had been sitting down. Mm. So was sitting down and I can no longer really even see my legs, then how is Noah okay? Hmm. And I remember just laying my head back and looking up at the sky and I said, God, if this is it for me, then take me, take me now, but let me know that Noah's all right. Hmm. And he, you know, this is one of the things in my story where I feel like it can only be described as a miracle because my eardrums were completely blown out by the blast. I shouldn't have been able to hear my son cry. I, I, everything was muffled and I could hear screaming, but it was just a very weird sound, but it was so vivid. And I heard mommy, mommy, mommy. And I looked over and Noah was in the arms of a police officer. Wow. It was that moment where I knew that Noah, no matter what was going to happen to me, he was going to be okay because I saw his leg and I saw that he was injured, but nowhere to the extent that I was. Wow. Uh, yeah. The love of a mother that in that moment is thinking and just seeing your son. Uh, that's, that's incredible. And yeah. Talk to us then about what, what, What's next? Like how, what changed? Because it was obviously a brutal moment and it was right there. And, and this like day forever altered your life. Yeah. So at first, you no, know, it's one of those feelings of like comfort because, okay, Noah is all right. But then I'm like, man, I really am going to die because God just answered my prayer. Oh, you're yeah. like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> God, I, can I make one revision here? Right. Can I revise that just a bit? I was just kidding. <laughs> but it, it really became at that point about just like one, not foot in front of the other because obviously I couldn't move, but it was just one second at a time. Mm. And 
I, I just kind of laid back and, and it was out of my control at that point. And I often look back on that and you know, I can definitely account for the horror of that day and all of the tragedy that comes along with that. But when I fully see what happened, I see all of these beautiful angels in the form of first responders and innocent civilians. And they didn't know that a third or a fourth or a fifth bomb wasn't going to go off at that moment. But they still rushed in to help us, not knowing that. And it's such a beautiful thing that we see in tragedy. It's all of the this light and this power surrounding it. And I can only equate that to, to God and what he does. So in the midst of all of this, I felt like I was being protected in the best way. And I was rushed off the street. And I later found out that everyone that got off the street that day, they made it to a nearby trauma hospital and survived. Mm. And of course, we, we lost people that day. But we just happened to be in one of the best places for trauma in the country. And there were so many things, even a, a drill the year before, a, a bomb drill that they had in in preparation for something wow. that they could have never prepared for. So everything that happens, so at some point, I feel like you can look back on it and see those little blessings. Yeah, what some would say is coincidence, right? We, we see that. You know, God, God knew what he was doing. And, and uh, yeah, that's incredible. I haven't heard that part of it, that they'd actually prepared for this as if it would happen before it happened. I mean, I, I, awesome. this is the first time I've heard your full story. I've heard snippets of it. And I, this is mind-blowing to me. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, you know, I can't even imagine. I have so many questions. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine you're that close to the bomb. Like, I have so many questions. How long did it take you to actually – it had to hurt – not only your body, but like your, your eardrums, like you wake, did you, do you remember them taking you to the hospital at that point? You, you were aware of everything, right? I was, I was aware of every moment and it was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in in my life. And I remember them whisking me off the street and putting me into an ambulance and I'm hearing these first responders screaming, we have an amputee, we have an amputee. And did you realize that you at that point? I did. And it was one of those surreal moments where it's like, it was my birthday. (laughs) I was in Boston to celebrate my birthday and have a good time. And all of a sudden, I know that if I wake up from what is happening to me after this, my life will never be the same again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just remember wanting them to put me to sleep so bad. Because of the pain? The pain was too much to bear. And I had notice that my entire left hand my skin was peeled back to my wrist and my bones were sticking out because my legs were in such terrible shape and barely hanging on and I looked down and I saw my hand and I was just like what is going on what is happening like how did did I get into this position and where is my life going so um, yeah they took me to the hospital and They asked me who they could call because I was still coherent and I was trying to get my mom's number out and it took everything that I had and I kept jumbling up the the numbers and I'm in in such a state of shock and I just, I finally remember them 
uh, counting down and they, they were putting me into emergency surgery and I was just counting down and I was like, please let me live. I yeah. just how I want to die. This, I, I know your first book and not to be lighthearted here, your first book was taking my life back. Maybe it should have been worst birthday ever. I don't know, Rebecca. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely, I hope your husband gave you a, a really good birthday after this, because this Amen is the, I, wow, what a story. So obviously we'll, we'll, we're nine years away from that and, and we'll catch up, but I, I want to ask like in the moment, do you remember what that's like to know? if I make it through this, my life will never be the same again. Mm. Like, what's that? What's that like? Like, what was mm. going on in your your heart, your mind, your emotions in that to think that even if I make it in this, and I don't even know if I will, it's never going to be the same again. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like when people often tell you when something terrible happens, and they make it out alive, your life kind of flashes before your eyes, and you see these memories, and you see the people that you love the most, and, and you see all the things that you took for granted, mm. essentially. And I just started thinking, like, my life can't end like this. I have taken up until this moment every single second for granted, not because I was trying to, not because I was a bad person, just because I got caught up in trivial little things that we all get so caught up in because that's life, that's normal. And so it became this like, please, just please let me do it differently. Let me do it the right way. Yeah. And I think obviously not everyone has that sort of paradigm shifting day or moment. Um, but I think, you know, when it comes at such a, a an age uh, 26 uh, or whatever it might be, it, it really then gives reason to live and significance and meaning and purpose. And there's urgency now to what, well, what maybe there wasn't before. And, and you're 26, you're a young mom at this point too. And so you had uh, Noah when you were, 21 then right like that's good math chris i listen i thank you Ten points for me. <laughs> uh, so you, you're a young mom at this point and you've got the rest of your life in front of you and uh man what an incredible story rebecca so yeah i'm sorry the next couple of years like what's going yeah. on in your life uh, what happened <laughs> yeah. so people think that that was the biggest part of it Right. And it, it was a big part, obviously. It, it changed the entire trajectory of our lives. But I remember waking up in that hospital bed and this overwhelming feeling of gratitude hmm. came over me that has never left me since. Hmm. The doctors came in and they started just telling me some of the worst news of my life. They said, no, the good news is you're, you're okay, you're alive. The bad news is it's going to take a really long time to piece you back together. And hmm. in that, you might lose your right leg. You're most definitely going to lose your left leg and you might lose your left hand. And I had all of these bits of shrapnel, the, the nails, the shards of, of metal, the, the BBs, everything that these brothers packed into these pressure cookers. And so the doctors started coming in and they would take these, these instruments and just pick all of these things out of my legs. And then I was going into surgery every other day. Oh my gosh. It became this nightmare 
of just over and over and and no one had no any idea of the outcome they had no idea what it was going to be like and after a couple of weeks they decided that they were going to do a process called limb salvage that they were going to go ahead and try to hold on to my left leg they had made attempts at more surgery of my right leg and it was doing okay my left hand was all right and so it was just like this never ending roller coaster because one day everything would be really, really good. And then the next day there would be infection. I had osteomyelitis. There was a point in time where they took me into surgery and they were exploring how far to amputate both of my legs. And so it's just, it was just this not knowing anything ever. And I had to put my full trust into the people that were taking care of me. And that went on for 56 days. And initially in the hospital. And then they sent me home back to Houston. And there was another year and a half of, of constant surgery and just constant worry of what the future was going to hold. So one thing that, so you were in the hospital after that incident for almost two months. Yes. Okay. So, and you mentioned that you, you know, you woke up the next day and you felt gratitude. But like, uh, and that is a God thing. <laughs> Holy cow. Because I think if I would have woke up the next day, I would have wanted to know if those guys were caught and I would have been so angry. Like how many times, like, it, do you still have those days where you go from kind of like, why did this happen? Anger or like, walk me through that process because this is an amazing testimony that you have right here. And I don't know, even as a pastor for the last few years, I, God bless America, I would be mad. <laughs> well, so let me tell you this part, because this is the part that made my mom angry. When she got to Boston, she came to the ICU room and the person laying in the bed, she didn't re even recognize. So she was begging the doctors, please take me, please take me to the room of my daughter because there's no way this woman in this bed is her. So you can imagine if my own mother didn't recognize me, what that actually had done to my body. And so then they began doing the surgeries and they, they, Put me on a floor and I would stay there for the remainder of my time. But every day that we would go into surgery, we would have to pass a particular room with two guards standing outside of it. And it was when the one of the remaining bomber got brought into the hospital after the shootout and after he was found in the boat. Mm -hmm. And the same nurses and doctors that were taking care of me had to go in and take care of him. And every single time that I went into surgery, we would have to pass the room of the person that was responsible. Did you know that was the person in that room when you passed him? We did. The, the FBI let us know that and the nurses and doctors because they wanted to be respectful of, of the survivors and their families. So, but it, it was hard because there's this overwhelming sense of gratitude. My son, and one of the reasons that I was able to experience this, I think, is because Noah was okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I will say that I don't know how I would be if I lost my little boy that day. Sure, sure. He, because Noah was sitting on my feet, my body was a shield for him. And so I was able to take everything in the back of the legs and more so in the left hand. And Noah walked away with two cuts, one on his head, on the back of his head, and one on his leg. And they're just scars. So that's that, miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. 
that same five-year-old is now 14 and six foot two, by the way. No, he's not. Yes. No. Six two? Yes. yes, he is massive. Like, And he just keeps growing. Has he grown 14 inches in like two weeks? <laughs> That's no. That's wild. Gosh, I was six two. <laughs> but, and he got taken to a completely separate hospital than I did too. Because they didn't know that we were together at the How time. How long did it take for you to be able to see Noah? But so on the fifth day, I was in a medically induced coma. And by the time I was really waking up and coherent enough to understand what was happening, mm-hmm. Noah was coming to visit me. Oh, okay. That really that was weird. such relief when you saw Noah. Yeah, that was where that gratitude really yeah. came to play. It's like, okay, I don't care what is happening with me. I don't care if I have to do exactly this for the rest of my life. My son is all right. And the only reason that we are still here is because there's a bigger purpose and God has a bigger plan. And I want to I want to I want to move to that and talk about uh what's been happening and because one of the pieces I love about your story is I just feel like you are you are my obstacles into opportunity person that I know in my life and and I think it's so amazing uh, how many but this has always shocked me how many surgeries have you had to go through since then I've had 72 surgeries so I, I recently just had another one a couple months ago. Still, that's what still today though we're having yes. surgery because of something that happened nine years ago. There's still so many pieces of shrapnel and they disrupt things and then I I have illnesses on top of of all of it because of the bombing and because of the all the foreign material in my body. So yeah, there's there's so much that can still happen and I've yeah. just kind of prepared myself for it. That's, that's a piece that I, I love though, because when I talk about obstacles and opportunities, like that's easier, it's never easy, but it's easier when it's like, okay, the obstacle came, it happened, it's done. And now I'm opportunity. And I think in your story, like, no, it's still hard for me. Uh, it's still something I deal with. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, obviously every single day, like you, you lost a leg. So every single day, it's a reminder of this happened. Um, but I want to talk about, okay, so this is what I, I just love this. Um, what are you doing now? Uh, and, and how, how has this event, uh, this tragedy impacted your life in, and given you, uh, like you said, a greater meaning of purpose? Well, I'll start by saying that I believe it is a privilege to struggle. And so every time that I struggle, every time that I have to get out of bed and put a prosthetic leg on or face another surgery or have pain, I, I'm not laying on that pavement fighting for my life. And so it's okay. And because of that, because of the pain of that day, because of my life in general, my entire life, because I I grew up in an abusive household and I had a lot of trauma prior to Boston. Mm. In fact, six months before Boston, I was held up in a Walmart parking lot and robbed at gunpoint. I thought that was going to be the biggest highlight. Mm. So we can go on and we can talk about all of the things that led up to Boston that I feel essentially prepared me in the best way for it. But what we really saw that day and what I believe our purpose is, is people focus on the physical. You know, you just asked me how many surgeries I've had. I've had 72 surgeries. Yeah, that's a, that's a big number. It's not fun to have, yeah. but the emotional, everything that we saw and experienced and 
really the war scene that it was. And I looked around and people's body parts are not even attached to them anymore. And just blood and, and screaming and all of the, the things that we've talked about. I know how hard it is for me, but can you imagine that in a five-year-old's eyes mm. who after the bombing was asking about a certain woman in a red hoodie to see if she was okay. I mean, he had such vivid imagery and he didn't forget that. And so it became more about the emotional. And I was introduced to things like PTSD and trauma in children and in myself that I was never prepared for. And so I started to Google what this was, how I could help my son. Why does my son not want to get back on his bike? Why does he not want to go to school or interact with yeah. the world? And in fact, the first thing that he said to me after I came home from the hospital and had to live with my parents because I was a single mom at the time, Noah whispered in my ear, he said, don't worry, mom, we're never leaving this house again. I realized his innocence was stripped of him that day. It was gone. It was left on that street. And it became the fight of how do I help my son through this? And how do I get through this? How do I spend the rest of my life living this way when I'm scared to death of a loud noise or a backpack? Yeah. You know, you hear so much about PTSD with veterans and, and, and things like that, but you don't really hear so much about it in adolescence or in young people, you know, like you just kind of, uh, even working with youth for 20 years, like, uh, you just don't hear much about that. You just, I mean, I, I, naively, maybe I just associate that, but you were essentially in a war zone. Like that's yeah. what you were in, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so talk to us because you not only were doing research, but really the more you got involved into it, became gripped by finding solutions and helping. And so what's that, what's that look like for you now? Uh, so that's a great question. <laughs> I love the, the sound effect. <laughs> so it started out as a desperate attempt for the help for my son. And just exactly what you said, the resources, the availability of the knowledge and all of the things that I was looking for as a desperate mom, mm -hmm. I couldn't find. Mm -hmm. There were very, very little to help in this, in the capacity that we needed. And so by doing these small searches and then trying to figure out therapy and, and different modalities and all of these things, what I found were all of these families that were suffering with their own traumas and not necessarily like ours, but there were all kinds of other things that they were going through and they weren't getting the help that they needed either. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like God was really preparing us for a much bigger purpose. And that's one of the things that I feel really humbled by. Yeah. Like he used the most broken parts of my life, the, the parts that are, are still so hard to talk about for his glory. And that's exactly what he does. He does that all the time, doesn't he? That's what he does. That's what he does so well. And that's what I love about your story is the, it's a reminder of a lot of things we read in the Bible that, you know, it's the most broken parts uh, of the most painful parts where often our purpose is revealed. And I, I think uh, a, a phrase that you once used that perfectly described that, and I can't imagine this scene uh, years later, right? The quote that you gave to the bomber, um, you had to face him in court 
And, and, and you said, though, you desired to take my life from me. This moment has made me more alive than ever. And I'm like, go, Rebecca. Yes, come on. 20,000 points to Rebecca. Holy yes. cow. Yes. You win the so whole podcast. It made you more alive than ever. You're doing research. You're getting more and more. You're seeing that God works through broken. So, yeah, what's next then? Uh, so it was really just trying to figure out what to do with that. I, I felt this calling on my heart that was so much bigger. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that was so much bigger than what we anticipated and in our own healing and our own suffering. And it first became just like trying to figure out as much as I could about PTSD, about trauma, about specifically trauma in children and families. And it was interesting because that's all that I've known my entire life based on my childhood. And I, I started putting the pieces together as to, as to why I had made certain decisions. You know, that you gave it away with my, like the age difference with my son. Like I was a very young mom and some of those decisions could have been made differently had I not had so much childhood trauma. And so it just became, it engrossed me in all of these things. And so I started leaning on people and mentors and um, I started joining board of directors and figuring out the how to navigate a nonprofit, how to start a nonprofit. And here we are, we just celebrated our, our fourth year for Rebecca's Angels and we've awesome. helped over 250 families receive therapy treatment for their trauma. Come on, baby. Fantastic. Wow, that is awesome. 250 families. And so, again, I, I don't gloss over the tragedy no. and the suffering and the struggle, but had that day not happened in the way that it happened for you, um, there could be 250 families right now that would not be in the spot that they're in because you were faithful to not only survive, but thrive and turn a weapon of the enemy that was against you for him. I feel like preaching right now. Well, right? come on, bring it, Zach. Uh, bring one of my it. favorite sermons that I preached at the cross, I remember was not even my words, but when I was saying the same stuff. And then I said, just hear Rebecca's story and <laughs> you'll know what I'm talking about. Because that's what our God does. Yeah. He turns the weapons that, that were once against us for his glory. And, and the thing is, like, God doesn't cause bad things to happen. But one of my mentors once said, but he makes good things happen out of the bad. And I just think, like, you know, initially I was thinking, man, this is such a Job type story you know like uh, yeah. and it's just everything is almost taken away from you rebecca and i love and i know that you have days that are probably just like the rest of us you have days that are bad you have days that are probably dark but through all of that god has worked some amazing stuff through you where you've been able to help so many people yeah. oh man that's a great story rebecca and, and can you maybe talk for a minute, Rebecca, about something we talked about kind of before we even went on show? Because we're recording this, uh, you know, in April. Um, and no, you're not supposed to say that. I, I know, but it, it, it it's snowing in Nebraska, <laughs> Rebecca. It's snowing here. Why? Why you're by the beach in Sarasota? <laughs> I'm walking outside in 30 degree weather with snowflakes. Yeah, so, sorry about that, Chris. Brought yeah, from Florida. From Florida. Yeah. But that's what I think is, is like, I don't want to gloss over like, it's not that like the tragedy happened. And now everything's perfect every day and running this nonprofit, right? Like, I, and I think as disciples, which is what this podcast is about, I do think that a lot of us have something that's worked against us in our stories that mm -hmm. God wants to bring out of us to help others. But it's not that like the bad thing happens, it's done forever. And now it's all good. Like there's still days and this is a tough 
season for you, right? And so you're still doing it, though. And that's what I love, the faithfulness, uh, even after the fact, to know that things aren't always good. There's still struggles. And so can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, there's absolutely still struggles. And when we were talking earlier, I said, I'm kind of in the season of my life that I didn't prepare for. I wasn't expecting. Sometimes things happen out of nowhere. Hmm. And with everything going on in Ukraine right now, I, I think that that's a big part of it. I recently had a, a medical diagnosis that I wasn't prepared for either. And so a lot of things have just kind of hit me all at once. Um, the anniversary of the marathon bombing nine years, which is absolutely insane that it's been that long and it still feels like yesterday at the same time. And then I, my birthday is of course, just a couple of days prior to the anniversary. So it's always this really weird thing because it's the celebration of life that's like on steroids, right? Because I realize every birthday is such a gift and it's, mm. but it also comes with those memories and, and that pain. And, and then unfortunately the, the bomber who I won't name has mm. been back in the news with, you know, what's going to happen with him and all of that. And so it just kind of brings up things. And I, I try to be transparent and very honest because I want people to know the, the good, but I also want them to know the bad too. And to know that they're not alone in their suffering. Like there are still parts of this that are extremely difficult. And that's when it's important to lean on the people that, that love you and support you. And even during this podcast today, like I feel my soul is rejuvenated and, and I have the, the, the will to, to continue to, to fight because we all have those moments where we're just like, man, I don't know how much more I can take. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and from my perspective, we need you to keep fighting. Right. And, and not just me and Chris, but our audience, but the families uh, that have children that are going through PTSD, like yes. we need you to stay in the fight. And, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for you that you've, that you've stayed in it because it's, it's not easy. Right. Um, can you talk for a minute, kind of switching gears a touch, like what the, have, have you been able to forgive uh, the Boston bomber? Um, what is that? How's that going? Is that an ongoing thing? Uh, and how, yeah, talk, talk to me about that for you. So I think that's the number one question that I've always asked yeah. if I've given him. And I, it's the most honest answer is it's a work in progress, right? It's, there's days where I'm like, Yes, because I, I remember specifically sitting in the trial and you learn a lot. I, I'm, I've been so engrossed in childhood trauma. And then you, I sit in the, the trial and I look at his family and I see his upbringing and I see all of the things that made him who he was. And it's like, oh, well, that makes sense because they were, you know, and you can go down that route. And I, I try to disassociate it with he didn't specifically go there that day to do anything personal. It was an attack on America, but then that makes you mad too. And That's right. so it, there's a million different ways that you can spin it. And what I come back to is forgiveness is not for that person. It's for you. And I can't hold that hatred in my heart for something that I have no control over. I can't change the fact that any of this happened. I wish that I could. I wish that my son didn't have to be a survivor of one of the biggest terrorist attacks in, in the country. 
Um, but unfortunately, that's that's our path. And what we can do is just moving forward, remain in that gratitude. And when I went to court that day and I gave my victim impact statement, that was a, a huge turning point for me because I got to look the the bomber in the eyes and tell him that I wasn't his victim and that I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to make the world a better place. And that's the promise and what I come back to every single day when I feel exhaustion or I start to feel anger or I feel sorry for anything that's happened to us. When you were getting ready, Rebecca, to make that statement and you were thinking about it and you're getting ready to go into court, like talk to me about the emotions of that moment. Oh, well, if we want to get really honest, I threw up on the the train ride in. <laughs> so, yeah. I imagine. I imagine. I, I got yeah, I was I was terrified. I yes. had nothing to do with the entire trial. In fact, when they had my amputation a year and a half after everything. So I they held on to my leg for a long time and then we made the decision to go ahead and amputate. And the day I got into the rehab facility to start learning and and living life on my last leg, as I call it, (laughs) Uh, the FBI agent and the U.S. attorney walk into my rehab room and tell me that I have to testify in the remaining bomber. So it's like, you know, it's it's like all of these things that you just can't prepare for. And that's what I was going to ask you is how did you get picked out of everybody? You know, like... Yeah, I was one of the closest ones to to the first bomb. So the people that were the closest are the ones that got picked. And so I really didn't have a choice. And it was either make the best out of the situation and go. And I had that responsibility, I felt, to the jury and the judge. And uh, so the testimony part, I kind of wanted nothing to do with it. I, I got through it. It was so hard. But I wanted him to look at me. Yeah. I wanted him to know that. He didn't defeat me. That was super important. It was just like a goal that I had. I can't really tell you why. It's just something that I wanted to do. And I was very new. I was a freshly amputated. I just had gotten my leg. I named Felicia because she's a new member of our family. Felicia is the name of the leg. Yeah. I mean, she was the new member. So we wrapped her in a baby blanket and did the whole thing. But I just wanted him to know that my life was going to continue and mm-hmm. he gave me fire that I never knew that I had in me. Amen. And I, I got to go back to Boston and that's when they asked me to give the victim impact statement. And I started looking up what a victim impact statement was because I had never been part of a trial before. So I had to Google that too. And it was the statement that was made right before the judge and the jury make the final verdict. And so I'm like, I don't want to give this guy who I've seen lean back in his chair, crack jokes with his attorney and not acknowledge the jury by standing up. I don't want to give him any more satisfaction. So I wrote my statement out and I handed it to the U.S. attorney and they made me go last out of 22 people. And it was just. You must have thought that it was a home run. Let's let's put her last. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I stood up there and it, it felt like I was standing in front of the biggest enemy of my life. And I got to tell him that he didn't win. And wow. it was truly like staring at the face of the devil. It's often we look at people and you can see their souls, you can feel their hearts and their compassion. And he just, his eyes were black. He was soulless, but I never wavered. I never looked away. I knew exactly what I wanted to say to him. 
And that was the turning point in my life where I felt like I had taken it back and I was going to continue to do that no matter how difficult. Uh, yeah, I, that's incredible. I am so proud of you. You're amazing. I, I think of Revelation twelve eleven that says they will overcome the enemy uh, by the blood of the lamb. That's the lamb, the blood that Jesus already spilled and the word of our testimony. And I think of your testimony combined with this God that we serve. Uh, you are defeating the enemy, crushing the enemy. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to be a part of it as pastors. One of the favorite things we get to do is baptize people. And like your son's baptism was like one of my favorite moments, like putting his scarred head down into the waters of baptism and having him come up is uh, something I'll always remember and be grateful for. And uh, so thank you for digging in for finding purpose for helping people and i don't want to end it on crying so um and i, I just love uh, it's going to help so many people and i, I know our audience is listening there uh, we're going to tell you where to go in just a moment if if your child is suffering with ptsd and how you can be a part of rebecca's angels and this movement that is going to change the world um but i want to move to uh you named your leg felicia um <laughs> what, and, and what I, a transition <laughs> here by the way <laughs> you named your leg felicia and like You've said before, you and your family have some of the greatest Halloween costumes anyone's ever seen. Come on, tell me about that. Tell me some fun things you've done with your leg. Okay, so I really, humor's been a huge thing for us. Yeah. Because like I said, I, I'm never going to get up in the morning and have two legs again. I'm on my last leg, whether I like it or not, so I can have fun with it. And so all of my legs that I get have names and personalities. Well, you have multiple legs. I do. I've got a walking leg, a running leg, and an athletic leg. So oh. uh, it's it's been fun. And I dress it up. And, and in fact, I mean, it wouldn't be a proper interview if I didn't. Come on. Come on. Let's see. What do we got today? Here you go. Here is Felicia. Felicia. Right. What's up, Felicia? Is Felicia's <laughs> nails done too? Is, did I see the priorities every two weeks? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and the nail ladies fight over who gets to do my, my feet. I, it's funny because I have multiple feet because they get really dirty and you can't really mm. clean them. There's nothing, mm. not a solution. I'm trying to figure that out. But so I have a bag of feet and I'll just ask them to paint them. So, you know. You're Sorry. weird, Rebecca. I love it. Uh, okay, in the show notes, we're gonna put. And by the way, this is a podcast listening, but video. You gotta, you gotta see Felicia. Yeah, please. In the show notes, I'd love if we can get a link or two to some of my favorite, some of your favorite TikTok videos too. Oh gosh, got some oh, crazy TikTok videos. <laughs> what did she have? I mean, you can imagine, like all of a sudden, there's just a leg that is in her hand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So you've done sucker treats with using the uh the leg as a prop. Is that what I'm understanding? I mean, we've dressed up like uh Lieutenant Dan and a pirate and you know things like that. But in COVID specifically, we got kind of bored and we started making these silly TikTok videos and That's hilarious. So my husband asked me to uh, go into IHOP on one leg and hop in there and ask for a job application. So I did that. And <laughs> Come on, I hopped in here. Let's go. <laughs> did you get a did you get an interview or it's tough to hire me, but I, I declined. So um it, 
it's really been about just like making it fun for my family. My family's been through enough. They have suffered so, so much. And Noah had a really hard time with me being an amputee at first. He was scared about the initial surgery, scared of what that was going to look like. And so there was this one revelation he came to and he's like, I'm going to have a robot mom. I'm like, yes you are going to have the coolest robot mom there. And so we have incorporated as much fun into it as possible. And one thing I, I didn't really realize is how many people would be comfortable in their own skin and their own transformation just by me sharing these silly videos, because I've gotten messages from people that have been amputees for 30 years and have, have never worn shorts because they were scared of someone seeing their leg. And, and I'm out there, you know, dancing and throwing mine around and people That's are like, if you can do that, then I can do this. And yeah. so that's what the most powerful part of it is. It's like, yeah. it's not about our story. It's not about anything that we've done. It's about how God is using us and able to have other people share their story and be connected and, and find healing because of it. Amen. All right. I want to ask you a question. We ask every guest to close. And then Chris, uh, if you'll go with him, ha since you are the like ultimate survivor that we've ever had on this and probably will ever have on this podcast. Let's be honest. Chris has like a survivor game that uh, people need to hear the, your answers to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so all right, first the challenge, though, the question we ask every guest, Rebecca, um, knowing your story and, and who you are, we give the opportunity for every guest to challenge our audience if they could practically this week grow as disciples in one way. Like, what would you challenge our audience today um, that they can do this week? I think just to throw the expectations that you have of your life out the window and appreciate exactly what it is right now. There are so many goals and, and things that we can have. And there's so many times where we just want to close the chapter and all of it, but everything works together for his greater good or mm -hmm. for the, for those who love him. And so I have learned that and I've learned that it's so easy to get caught up in the mundane tasks. But if we really focus on where we are and be just grateful and count our blessings and not our problems, then life is beautiful. And I, I'm very blessed. All right. So that's the challenge. We are going to be grateful for what God is doing. And so I'd love if uh, social media or if you're watching this on YouTube, just list some things right now that you're grateful for. Hashtag Red Letter Disciple. And let's just as, a, as, a, as an audience, let's be grateful for so many yeah. things and the life that God gives us today. Because as Rebecca's story reminds us, like we don't know what we have next. And so uh, so powerful. All right, Chris, I am turning it to you. I'm always nervous to do this. This might Rebecca. be the most, <laughs> the weirdest game that we've played. But Rebecca, I love your sense of humor and I admire your strength, your courage. Uh, you are everything that I am not, that I strive to be. Uh, in high pressure situations, I wilt like a flower in the desert. Uh, there was one time I was on vacation, uh, over, uh, on the West coast of Florida and I was cooking shrimp in an oven and one of the shrimp fell through the grill and landed on the bottom of the oven. Oh, no. And there was a fire in this beach house that we rented and I ran outside. I didn't know what to do. My wife said, Hey dummy, you can just remove the shrimp and this is fine. There's another time, Rebecca, if, since you've been so candid, I want to be candid. It was around December 23rd, 
and my uh, wife's first pregnancy lasted about uh, her. She was in labor for 16 hours. It was about five o'clock in the morning. She wakes up. She says, hey, Chris, I think we need to go to the hospital. For the second pregnancy. For now. the second pregnancy. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is going to take 16 hours. Should I take a shower? You know, <laughs> let me get my bags together. I come back out and she is on our floor <laughs> in the living room. And sister-in-law oh, is staying with us. I'm sorry, this is long, and I know we're over time. I just want to show you how bad I am in high-pressure situations. So I call 911 because I say, Jen, sweetheart, we got to get in the car. And she goes, I'm not going to make it to the hospital. I said, no, we have to make it to the hospital. And I call 911. And I see my sister-in-law sitting in ER up in my, in my bedroom. And I'm thinking, this is crazy town right now. I, and so I talked to the uh, operator. And she goes, listen to me. You have to do exactly what I say or else things could go wrong. And I panic, Rebecca, I panic. I hand the phone to my sister-in-law and I say, you have to do exactly <laughs> what this operator does. And praise God, the graphic designer, my sister-in-law delivers my son. Wow. And I was in the front yard waving the ambulance in. That's, I am so the opposite of you, Rebecca. So I, just because of that, and I'm sorry, Jen, for telling that story to thousands of people, but... I might have to stay in Sarasota with these guys. But anyway. <laughs> I don't know that they'd have you. They'd have me. They'd have me. Okay. This is kind of a crazy game. You're a survivor. I have some survivor questions for you. Okay? Right. Let me just give you an example, Rebecca. If an elevator is falling, okay? Elevator's falling. Okay. What do you do? Do you jump? Do you lie down on the floor? Or do you squeeze up against the wall? An elevator is falling. Yeah, it's falling. And you're like, oh, whoa. I mean, how many flights up are we? Are we moving to? That's a great question. We are 27 flights up and oh, wow. it's falling. Okay. All right. So you're you're jumping out of the Hurry, pool. Rebecca, I'm falling. Hurry. I guess I'm jumping because. Oh, Rebecca, <laughs> that is a wives' tale. That is not true. What you need to do, Rebecca, and I'm glad that I can help you because I'm. Against the wall, Rebecca. This is what you do. You lie down on the floor so that the force of the impact will be distributed across your entire body. Oh my goodness! Okay. I know you're. That's going to help a lot of people. Thank I'm you. I'm so glad that you told me that today. So I'm prepared. Listen, I'm just trying to help you be the complete person here. Here we go. Question number two, Rebecca. Are you ready? I am. If you fall through the ice in Sarasota, Florida. Oh yeah. If you fall through the ice, you're out there ice fishing in Florida. What do you do? Do you choose the same way you came in and try to slide or try to break the ice and move toward the shore? Okay, well, I know the answer and it's not even on there. There's what? no ice in Sarasota, Florida, so yeah. I could. That is correct. Thank you. All right, final question. You got that right. All right, here's one that could happen to you, Rebecca. Are you ready? Yep. If a tornado is approaching you, a tornado, okay. 155 miles an hour, it's going like this. Look, it's sucking oh. up, Zach. Okay. All right, here we go. Yeah. What should you do? Climb a hill or two. Hide in a hole or three. Run as fast as you can, Rebecca. Is it climb a hill, hide in a hole, or run as fast as you can? Is the hole underground? 
I would hide in a hole. That's exactly right. It's a hole underground, Rebecca. How many holes are above ground? I'm saying like, is it a hole in your house where it's gonna, oh. you know, there's gonna be something no. below the day or- get it, go up, gopher, and he's Because most people legitimately, Chris, in a, yeah. most people legitimately in a tornado are inside their homes. They're not just out roaming around. Well, this time you're out, and it anyway. just so happens that there's a 30 foot hole right beside you. You hide inside the hole, find a ditch or a pit, lie down, cover your heads with your hands and your clothes. Rebecca, you win the first annual Survivor game. Congratulations. Way to go, Rebecca. We Way will to go. send you your uh, prize. Zach will do that. <laughs> there you yeah. go. I'm glad I don't know what to do with, in an elevator, too. That's yeah, thing. no, it's it's helpful for everybody. You never know what you're going to get here. Rebecca, you are an inspiration. You're a miracle. Your family's miraculous as well. We love you. Uh, where, if people want to connect with you, can they find you? Uh, uh, Rebecca'sAngels.org. So Rebecca is spelled R-E-B-E-K-A-H-S Angels.org. And that's the so easiest good. way to get in touch with us. Awesome. And yeah, anyone out there that is needing help with uh, childhood PTSD, uh, they're the people to go to. And uh, it's been an honor, Rebecca. And uh, thanks for uh, telling your story and also having fun with us. And uh, we'll keep praying for you guys. And uh, geez, is your son going to keep growing though? That's yeah. Like when does that stop? I, I'm not sure. I'll let you know, but permit right. in August too. So I, it, it, nothing has killed me to this point, but that might that be might. the one thing that does me in. So keep checking. No, keep no I rebuke that. It's going to keep going. Here we go. That's right. Um, all That's right, Rebecca. Right. Blessings. Thank you so much for being a part of the show with us today. Thank you. What a story, what a, what a woman, what a life. Show notes include like helpful links for all things Rebecca Gregory and her foundation. And we have those at our website, redletterpodcast.com if you want to connect with her, learn more about her foundation. Um, but here's the deal. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned that I would hook all of you up with an entry to win Red Beat Studio 3 wireless headphones with giving a review and a rating. And, and, and of course, letting us know that at redletterpodcast.com. But because I want this show, this podcast, to be about living out some of the things we're going to be talking about, here's what I'm going to do. Every review given on Apple and on Spotify for this week, that's, that's May 31 to June 6, I'm going to donate $10 to Rebecca's Angels Foundation. That's right, $10 for every single one. And so help us. Like, let's get to number one on Apple Podcasts in the Christian space. If we do that, I'll throw an extra 500 bucks in. So share the word. We're going we're gonna to hook Rebecca's Angels Foundation up. And so here's the deal. You win. You, you might win like a pair of free headphones, but, but you are on your behalf going to be giving to a really great foundation with every rating, with every review. So spread the word. And I couldn't be generous if our sponsor didn't come on board with us for season one to be generous towards us. And they're all about generosity. The Giving Church, they understand. They fuel generosity. They empower leaders for kingdom dreams to come to fruition, and they'd love to help you and your church. And so go on over to thegivingchurch.com slash red, and there you can get a free PDF on ways to help grow your church giving. Okay, next week, episode four features Dave Ferguson, who, who wears a lot of hats, but one of those is he is the president of Exponential Conference, this mega conference in our nation, helping and equipping so many church leaders and church planters. So we get into a great discussion with Dave about discipleship and how multiplying churches do it. Uh, we also hear how there's a lot that we can learn in the States from the church overseas about how we're doing discipleship. 
But I'm also not going to lie, like this episode went off the rails perhaps more than any other episode. And why? Like I blame the whole thing on Chris. Like Chris's dream is to be on stage at Exponential. And well, he actually asks Dave and Dave turns him down. (laughs) But over the episode, like Dave's heart softens a bit and Chris actually gets offered something. So you're going to have to tune in next week to see what that is all about. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be challenging. Can't wait for you to hear it. Episode four is dropping next Tuesday of the Red Letter Disciple. Ahura Media Production.